The book of Jeremiah does not have a happy ending. The book of Jeremiah does not have a happy ending. It doesn't get all sweetly tied up, nicely with a bow on top, and everybody living happily ever after. Feel good, boppy music playing in the background as the credits roll. Heather and I watched a movie last night, and at the end, the whole cast was dancing. And the music was going, it was just, oh yeah, that felt so good. The book of Jeremiah is not like that. If anything, it ends with a dirge. The book of Jeremiah does not have a happy ending, but it does have a holy ending. This should not surprise us by now. This has not been a happy book. For 40 years, the weeping prophet Jeremiah has been a broken record about a broken covenant and the broken nation and the burnt city that would come of it. So we should not be surprised that the very last chapter is about that sad prophecy coming to pass. The previous chapters, 50 and 51, looked further ahead, down the road, when the wicked city of Babylon must fall. But first, the wicked city of Jerusalem must fall. And fall it did. We've already read about the fall of Jerusalem in chapter 39. And we read about it in 2 Kings 24 and 25, with many of the very same details. You might get deja vu from reading Jeremiah 52. But we know that whenever the scripture repeats itself, what it's saying a second time or a third time or a fourth time must be very important. So we ought to pause and pay close attention. What may be surprising about Jeremiah 52 is that it wasn't written by Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah is not even mentioned. I said earlier that these were the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, but that isn't quite right. The Lord has included these words in Jeremiah's book, but these are not Jeremiah's words. The last verse of the previous chapter said the words of Jeremiah had ended there, 51-64. So the Lord has raised up another author to put this appendix, epilogue, postscript, historical addendum onto the end of Jeremiah's book to make sure that we get the point. Jeremiah's prophecies have and will all come true. Perhaps it was Baruch, good old Barry, right? Or maybe Baruch's son, because it really extends several years into the future. We don't know who wrote it. But we do know that he was inspired by the Lord to include it with the words of Jeremiah to be for us the word of God. Let's look at it together. And as we do, I want to point out three things about the Lord that we can confidently say because we've read all of Jeremiah, but especially we've read this chapter. And then apply those three things to our lives today. Ready? Let's go. Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 1, the story backs up to 597 B.C. and the beginning of the reign of the last king of Judah. Verse 1. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. Different Jeremiah. She was from Libna. 
He did evil, Zedekiah, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Stop there for now. We've learned a lot about Zedekiah in the last few months. He was a thumbs-down king, right? Just like every king was ever since his godly father Josiah had died. His brother Jehoiakim had been a terrible thumbs-down king. He was the one who had burned the scroll of Jeremiah. And Zedekiah wasn't quite like that, but he was never holy. He'd ask for advice. He'd he'd call the prophet in and ask him, "What, what should I do? But then he would never do what the prophet said God wanted him to do. And eventually it caught up with him. And the whole nation went down. And they went into exile. The Lord thrust them from his presence. What scary words are those? Thrust them from his presence. Here's point number one for today. The Lord's anger is holy. The Lord's anger is holy. We see there in verse 3 that the Lord was angry. It says that. The Lord was angry. And that's scary all by itself because the Lord is God. He's omnipotent and He's sovereign, so when He gets angry, terrible things may happen. But His anger is not, it's not like our anger. It's not capricious. It's not moody. God never gets up on the wrong side of the bed. When God is angry, it's, it's about something worth being angry about. The Lord's anger is holy. Look at verse 2 again. Zedekiah did what? Evil in the eyes of the Lord. Just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger over that evil that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah and in the end he thrust them from his presence. Every terrible thing we're going to read about that God does in this chapter is perfectly just, perfectly right, and righteous and holy. The kings and the people broke the covenant. They worshipped other gods. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The holy eyes of the Lord. No wonder judgment fell. We live in a day when holiness seems silly and unimportant. Holiness seems trite and trivial and foreign to our ears. Nobody cares about being holy. Everybody cares about being happy. But few care about being holy. God cares about being holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And He wants you and I to be holy too. We live in a time when people think, I'm not so bad and God's not so mad. But the fact is that we are bad, and God is mad, and rightly so. God's anger is holy. That's why the cross, right? Do you ever look at the cross and you're like, whew, isn't that overkill? No. 
That's just right. Wrath. The cross is about God's love, yes, but it's also about God's holiness. We've been unholy. And so we need Jesus to do what he did on the cross to make us holy once more. He wore that crown of thorns on his brow we just sang about. He took the nails. He struggled to breathe. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why the cross. That's that's what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks during this season in the church's life. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, holiness. By his wounds we are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, unholy. But now you've been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, holy once more. His anger is holy, and that's why Jesus died like he did. And that allows us now to live a holy life ourselves. I hope that studying the prophecy of Jeremiah this last year has helped us to cultivate a hatred of our own sin and a love for God's holiness. When we see how seriously God feels about idolatry, how hard did he go after idolatry in Jeremiah? No other gods before me. There are scarecrows in a melon patch. Molech and Baal and Ishtar, the queen of heaven. Bel, Marduk, Chemosh. Bam, bam, bam. When we see how seriously God feels about idolatry and pride, like Babylon, how arrogant they'd become. And wickedness. All of what Jerusalem had got caught up in. And the lengths that God went to save us from those things. I hope that we've been led into repentance from our hearts to turn. Shuv, to turn and to keep turning. We can learn from the errors of Judah. What sins are you repenting of? What idols are you smashing? What areas of holiness are you growing in? The Lord says, be holy as I am holy. And we see here just how holy he is. He was so holy that he demolished his favorite city on earth. Look at verse 3 once again. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Bad idea. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They camped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. That's about 18 months, almost two years. By the ninth day of the fourth month, which is January 15th, 588 B.C., the famine in the city had become so severe there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through. And the whole army fled. 
They left the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued King Zedekiah and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced sentence on him. There at Riblah, the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He also killed all the officials of Judah. Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon, where he put him in prison till the day of his death. Like I said, the book of Jeremiah does not have a happy ending. But it does have a holy one. It also has an honest ending. This is what truly happened. And what Jeremiah had said all along would happen came true. Point number two, the Lord's word is true. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 4. It's been a few weeks since we read it together. Jeremiah prophesied, Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape out of the hands of the Babylonians, but will certainly be handed over to the king of Babylon and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. That's exactly what happened. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar was the last thing Zedekiah ever saw. Nebuchadnezzar killing his sons. Nebuchadnezzar taking out his eyes. Or listen to Jeremiah 34, verses 3 and 4. The Lord said to Jeremiah, quote, Go to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, This is what the Lord says. I'm about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon, and he will burn it down. You will not escape from his, excuse me. You will not escape from his grasp, but will surely be captured and handed over to him. You will see the king of Babylon with your own eyes, and he will speak with you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. That's exactly what happened. You would think that maybe Nebuchadnezzar would just kill Zedekiah right there. But instead, after he kills his sons, he takes him to Babylon and puts him in prison. Everything Jeremiah said would happen is exactly what happened. The Lord's word is true. All those other prophets were false. They were full of lies. But Jeremiah's mouth was full of truth. The lies sounded so good. How many times have we said that in the last year? We want to believe the lies. They tell us what we want to hear. But we must believe the truth. And the truth was that this city was going to fall. Look at verse 12. On the tenth day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon... Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. If you want to know how this felt, read the next book of the Bible. Read the book of Lamentations. 
It felt to them like the very end of the world. And it was the fulfillment of the word of the Lord. You see those words broke down in verse 14? That's the same Hebrew word that was used back in chapter 1, the very first chapter of Jeremiah, to describe what Jeremiah's words would do. Do you remember that, these six things? The Lord said to Jeremiah, this is chapter 1, verse 10. The Lord said to Jeremiah, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot. Very familiar word for us. That's been the name of our series. Second, tear down. That's the same words used here. Tear down. To destroy. To overthrow. To build and to plant. The Babylonians systematically tore down the walls around Jerusalem until the walls were completely dismantled and the city demolished. And just as promised, the people were taken into exile. Verse 15. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile some of the poorest people and those who remained in the city, along with the rest of the craftsmen and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. Apparently he needed some workers. But Nebuzaradan left behind the rest of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and fields. And then they went after the temple of the Lord. Verse 17. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord. And they carried all the bronze to Babylon. Let the looting begin. They also took away the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, sprinkling bowls, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the basins, censers, sprinkling bowls, pots, lampstands, dishes, and bowls used for drink offerings, all that were made of pure gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea, and the twelve bronze bulls under it, and the movable stands which King Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord was more than could be weighed. Each of the pillars was 18 cubits high and 12 cubits in circumference. Each was four fingers thick and hollow. The bronze capital on top of the one pillar was five cubits high and was decorated with a network and pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar, with its pomegranates, was similar. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. The total number of pomegranates above the surrounding network was 100. Do you remember the beauty of the temple of the Lord? Solomon's glorious temple with all of its gold and silver and bronze, all these things were described as they were put up in 1 Kings 6 and 7 and 8. And now they are all inventoried as they're all stolen away in Jeremiah 52. And the entire time that the exiles are in Babylon, 70 years, they are stored away in the treasury of the Babylonians. Just like Jeremiah and like Micah before him had said, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. Ghost town. But keep this in mind. These items are inventoried and stored away. They were kept. The ones that weren't smashed up were put away in the vault. And there's actually going to be a future for them. There's a glimmer of hope here, even as in His holiness the Lord is bringing judgment on His temple. 
But how depressing it must have been to see those precious items stolen away and the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord torn down. And the leaders of Judah killed. Verse 24. The commander of the guard took as prisoners Sariah, different Sariah than from last week. This is the chief priest. He's the grandson of Josiah's chief priest, and he's the grandfather of the chief priest priest under Zerubbabel in the return. Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and seven royal advisors. He also took the secretary, who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land, and 60 of his men who were found in the city. 74 men. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, modern-day Syria, the king had them executed. Seventy-four executions. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. That's our sermon title for today. And it reminds us that this is all going according to plan. All these terrible things that are happening are all God's holy threats coming true. Including the exile. This isn't a mistake. This, is, this doesn't take God by surprise. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing to my people? Wait, wait, bring them back. Stop. No. This is, in fact, the judgment of God. For 40 years, Jeremiah has been saying that Judah will go into captivity. Judah will go into captivity. Judah will go into captivity. So, verse 28, Judah went into captivity away from her land. The Lord is faithful to keep his promises, including his threats. And he's been threatening this for more than 40 years. He's been saying that this would come since the book of Deuteronomy. If they did not repent, they would be thrust out of the land. Verses 28 through 30 give some stats on that. This is the number of the people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile. In the seventh year, 3,023 Jews. In Nebuchadnezzar's 18th year, 832 people from Jerusalem. In his 23rd year, 745 Jews taken into exile by Nebuzaradan, the commander of the imperial guard. There were 4,600 people in all in those three particular deportations. There was one before it and probably others. And those numbers are probably just the men or even just the leaders. The full count was probably much higher and did not include all of those who died in the process. Babylon has won. Judah has lost. Just as the Lord said. You know what this chapter is like? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like the post-credit scenes in a modern movie. 
If you go to a movie these days in the theater, you, you, you don't get up until all the credits have rolled, at least some of the movies, right? I've made the mistake of leaving before all the credits are done. Because in a lot of today's movies, especially the superhero ones that I like, they have these extra scenes, you know what I'm talking about, that take place after or in the middle of the credits or maybe after the credits that kind of tell the rest of the story or set up things for the next movie. So Jeremiah the movie is over. But here's these scenes to show us that everything Jeremiah predicted has come true. Jeremiah is vindicated as a true prophet. In these scenes, in chapter 52, we watch Jerusalem be besieged. You see it in your mind's eye? We see the walls breached. It's a montage. We see Zedekiah have to watch his sons die. We see his eyes come out. And everything goes black for him. We watch the walls of Jerusalem be torn down. We watch those precious golden temple things be stolen. We see the city burn. We watch the leaders, our leaders, be executed at Ribla. 74. We watch waves of thousands of Jewish people go into captivity in Babylon. Just like Jeremiah said. Do you see it? The word of the Lord is true. Every single word is true. Do you trust what you read here? Do you know what it says? Do you believe it? The Lord will keep every one of his promises, including his threats. I hope that by studying the book of Jeremiah this last year, it's put some steel in our backbones to stand with the word of God no matter what. No matter what the world says in our culture, no matter what others in the church say, we stand with the word. On Friday, Joel Michaels and I went up near Rochester for an ordination council of a new pastor in our district, Pastor Jake Buss. And it was so encouraging to hear Pastor Jake explain the Word of God and what he believes about it and how he stakes his life on it. This book doesn't always say what I want it to say. But it always says what I need it to say. And it says what is true. Amen? And for those who belong to Jesus, it always says a word of hope. The book of Jeremiah does not have a happy ending, but it does have a hopeful ending. There's a hint of hope, at least. For one, we know that Babylon does not win forever. It may, Babylon may be the winners at the end of chapter 52, but we just read chapters 50 and 51 last week, and we know that Babylon must fall. And when it does, God's people will rejoice. And we know that those golden things from the temple are going to show up again. And the temple is going to return. This afternoon, you might want to read the book of Ezra, chapter 1. All those things from verses 17 through 23, they make the trip back from Babylon to Jerusalem. A rebuilt Jerusalem with a rebuilt wall. That's Ezra and Nehemiah with a rebuilt temple. And all of those 
utensils used again. But the hope is bigger than that. Our hope is not just in a temple that will be destroyed yet again in the first century A.D. The hope that we really look forward to is that a son of David will be king forever. Amen? And there's a little hint of that in the last four verses of chapter 52 as we come to the very end of Jeremiah. Look with me at verse 31. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year evil Miradak became the king of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar's son, this is 561 B.C., he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and freed him from prison on the 25th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. There's a lot of exiled kings in Babylon. He gets to sit at this table and he gets the place of honor at this table. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived till the day of his death. Now that is not a happy ending. Jehoiachin was only king in Judah for three short months. And then he spent 37 years in a Babylonian prison in exile. And he never made it back to Judah. And none of his, I think it's seven sons, became king either. And he lived to see thousands of his kinsmen captive with him and having to live year after year in Babylon. He probably saw his eyeless uncle Zedekiah hauled into the prison with him to live out his days. This was not a happy ending. But it was a hopeful one. This last post-credits scene has the new king of Babylon come in and invite Jehoiachin to sit at his table as a fellow king, to change his clothes, and to act like a king again till the day of his death. We don't know exactly when that was. And there's no words in this last post-credits scene. There's, there's no quotation marks. We just see the old man change his clothes, put on the royal robes, and eat the royal food. And we think, oh, 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 I know what's going to happen in the next movie. Not only will Babylon fall because God said it would, not only will the temple return because God makes a way for it, but God, God has promised that a son of David will arise. Where's he going to come from? I thought all the kings were no longer kings. Wicked King Zedekiah was not the end of the line. God has said it in this book, right? Jeremiah chapter 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. And we know another name for him, don't we? We find it in the Gospel of Matthew, 
chapter 1, where it says, after the exile to Babylon, there's an after, Jeconiah, that's actually another name for Jehoiachin, was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the, fa- the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born. Yeah. Jesus, who is called Christ. This scene is setting us up for that story to come. Number three and last, the Lord's grace is amazing. After all of this righteous judgment and just condemnation, after all this holy anger poured out, God still plans to bless his people with his grace. God will send his son from the line of this king in exile to make good every promise he has ever made come true. Promises of a new covenant enacted by his blood. Promises of a hope and a future. Promises of good plans for you and me. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans for our shalom. Plans for a hope and a future forever because of his amazing grace. The book of Jeremiah does not have a happy ending, but all who belong to Jesus definitely will.